and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week on our panel, we have Will Button. What's going on, fellas? Jeffrey Groman. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, why don't you guys spell it out since this was uh, kind of your idea? What are we talking so, about? Yeah. So what we're talking about is Mission Impossible. I'm going to instill that from Will. How do you determine in the first hour or in the one hour interview you've got, whether you're going to actually want to take the the job, assuming that you get the offer? In other words, how do you figure out the culture of the company and figure out whether you're going to fit in and figure out whether what they're telling you the job is actually fits and, and, and is accurate and it's going to be something you're going to want to do you know, because let's face it, nobody wants to start a job and realize after two weeks that or less that, oh, my, this is terrible or this is certainly not what I expected. And now I probably should stick around for two or three years just so it doesn't look like I flip jobs <laughs> left and right. And I, honestly, I mean, how many of us have been in that situation? I'll say right, right I now, have, I, yeah. I have been there. I was just here. Here's the anecdote just to sort of set the stage. I was telling Will this before we started. I said, here's here's the, um, so a while back, so my background, I think a lot of the listeners probably already know, but um, I do security consulting work. Um, I used to work for a few different big firms, right? So I left one of my big firm jobs, wanted to do something different and ended up working for a um, smaller shop in uh, health insurance. And they were interviewing me for an application security job. And I sat down, one of my interviews was with like the director, the VP, whatever his title was for software, for technology, whatever, again, whatever the title was. And what he was saying was, you know, this is like probably going back, I don't know, close to 10 years. And he was probably saying something like, you know, we know that with what's going on, we haven't done a very good job of building security into our software. We've got about, we've got a portfolio of like, they probably had like, I want to say somewhere between 10 and 20 different application, you know, you know, discrete applications in their portfolio. And we want to try and build security into these. And we haven't really done such a good job of that. So we need you to sort of come in, assess where we are, where application by application, and then help just work with our teams to start to, to build security in and hopefully really sort of transform our whole SDLC into a secure SDLC. So I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Like, this is really cool building a, a, an application security program from the ground up. How cool. And I started there and I started meeting with their project managers. And here, by the way, here's like one key for figuring out the culture of a company. If they're still running their software products using project managers and P, the, like the PMI <laughs> certified project manager, you know, this is not a like new technology shop. This is an old school way of thinking about things. So I sat down with their project manager. <laughs> I have that job. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Charles is old school. There you have it, folks. So I sat down with these, these PMs and they're like, oh, I love these ideas. It's really cool stuff. But you know that our software roadmap is already pinned for the next 24 months. Like we've already committed to the business owner all of the features and all of the bug fixes that we're going to get in in the next 24 months. And now that that's not the job I have. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a story I got from every PM. So I'm sitting down there thinking to myself two weeks into the job, 
well, how are they going to change anything? Because if I find security defects, unless I can prove that this is like earth shattering, they're just going to blow me off and say, sorry, go work with the business owner and see if you can get them to, to escalate or, or, or to you know swap things around or to agree upon getting this fixed in there because our hands are tied. So that's what we're talking about is how do you, how do you diagnose that? How do you, how do you figure that out when you're sitting in the interview? Like what are the questions you ask and what are the, 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 the signs that sort of permeate the conversation and the culture of the company, the people that you're talking with to help you sort of figure out where they really are? I have some ideas, but I'm curious to see what you guys say first. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually got a lot of ideas on this. It, it actually comes up a lot over on the YouTube channel that I run, DevOps for Developers, because uh, I spend a lot of time there talking with people who are just getting started in DevOps or looking to get started in DevOps. And one of the things that I try to emphasize over and over again is during a job interview, probably the most or arguably the most important thing to do in a job interview is for you to interview the company as well as the let the company interview you. And that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think, yeah, I've got a whole series of, of thoughts on how you can do this. The, I think the first one that pops in my mind is uh, ask them what, like, how is everyone else's job going to change as a result of this? You know, my, my specific background is in DevOps. So from working with a company that wants to, jump on the DevOps train. That's the key question there is, okay, I'll do the DevOps work, hands on the keyboard type stuff. But that's really just a a matter of building tools for the rest of the organization to use. So what are they going to be doing differently that they're not doing now? And I think that'll give you a lot of insight into whether they're anticipating changing processes for the rest of the organization, or if they're trying to bolt on a DevOps team and gain the benefits of it. I like that a lot. And I think, you know, let, let's keep going down that that train of thought for a moment. So I, I think if I were sitting there, I'd probably also ask them, okay, so you're hiring a DevOps person. Who's been doing this? You know, let's just call it system administration. Like who's been doing that up until now? Have people been wearing multiple hats? Do you have sysadmins? Am I you know, is my role or the role that I'm interviewing for, is that a net new role? And I guess in a newer, you know, in a younger company, that might be the case, right? As they're, as they're ramping right. up. But if you're interviewing with a company that's been around for a while, you know, then it's a question of, did somebody leave? Which isn't necessarily, in my opinion, a red flag. I mean, technology, people come and go a lot. Yeah. You know, I mean, somebody could have been there for 10 years and felt like, hey, I want a new challenge or whatever. But if you're starting out, this might be a perfect opportunity for you to sort of get your feet wet and really learn a lot of stuff. So I, I don't, you know, don't call that a red flag, but you don't want to understand. I think I'd, I'd want to understand is my role net new ad, or is it, you know, just sort of fitting into an existing team because if it's fitting into an existing team, then that also might help you figure out what the culture is. Like what's the culture of that team? What do they do? And what they were doing yesterday, is that going to change? I think, well, this is what you were saying. I, I think I'm sort of fitting it into it, but you know, does it does the team change as a result of the fact that you're adding this new role in there? And if so, how does it change? Yeah. Yeah. Cause in order for this to be successful, you have to the the teams that you're integrating with 
they have to start doing new things, but there are also tasks that they'll have to stop doing as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. No, I, I love that. I think that that's a great starting point, you know, really understand what it is. But I think all the questions you can ask about specifically, like, what is the role? Specifically, what do you want from this role? Like, what, what are the goals and aspirations? I remember sitting in one of the first, when I was still IT, before I really moved into security, I had a job for about five years that really sort of like, I was totally into the infrastructure and I remember interviewing for that job. And it was a job that was sort of aspirational for me. Like I knew that I knew I could figure it out given enough time, but I knew that I didn't have all the skills walking in. And, and so did they. And it was really, really cool. But I could tell from the interview that what, you know, that, that it was aspirational because they were basically saying, this is where we are and this is where we want to get to. This is where we want to get to. We know you're junior. We know you're going to take some time, six months, whatever it is, to get up to speed. But we already have a team of really experienced people. You'll fit right in. And this is where having another person in, in the team will be able to sort of take us. And you know, if you're sitting in, in an interview and you're hearing that, then you should be saying, wow, how do I like not mess this up, right? How do I <laughs> you know, put my best foot forward, sort of be have a little bit of humility and, and realize that they're probably doing me a, a favor, right? The, the first six months, they're doing you a favor. After that, then starts to, you, you start to pay back, right? But, but that's really what you want. And I, it's, it, that's rare, but it does happen. But clearly, that's, you know, that's what I wanted at, this, at the time. But if you don't get that, you still probably want to get at least a little bit of a sense that they feel like there's a evolution, I think, right? That right. it's not just business as usual. We're adding another person because we're scaling up, or the last, or you know, the other person's tired of working twenty-hour days, so we finally right. got the budget to hire you. Right? I mean, if that's what you hear, then you know that. I mean, unless they've got a great culture already, you know, it is what it is, and, and that's what you're coming into. But it's not aspirational. Yeah, one of the things you said reminded me of a a joke I saw earlier this week. It was an interviewer with a candidate, and the interviewer says. Can you tell me a little about yourself and the candidates? Like, I'd really rather not. I kind of need this job. <laughs> <laughs> I think people get a little bit too too desperate. And, and I really feel like we're blessed in, in technology because there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of different companies, a lot of different types of companies, like a lot of industries. Like there is no shortage of places that you can go and get a job and work in technology. And I feel like the one thing you really have to be is, you know, don't be needy, don't be desperate. Because if this isn't the right job, don't try to like trick your way into it. Don't try to trick yourself into thinking that this is like the best job. No matter whether you get an offer or no matter how much money the offer is for, make sure it's the right fit. You know, really take your time with that because there are opportunities. I mean, I, I think very few people in technology are are that desperate where you know, needy really means, I remember hearing uh, Jim Camp talk about this, if you've read his uh, his books, but, you know, he, he talks about, you know, when you say people say a lot, people overuse the word needy, like I need something, you know, and then his take is he was like, a, I think he was a um, fighter pilot in Vietnam. And his his attitude was need is air, food on the table, right? A place to live, that's need. So unless you're really talking about being in that kind of dire straits, then it's not a need. 
And, and I think that's an important lesson because by and large, it's not, right? It's, it's, it's not for us a, a true need. It's usually a want. I want that job because I think that the company is a cool company. I think it's, it's going to look good on my resume. The title looks good. Whatever it is, we sort of fall into that trap of it's, it's just too cool. I, I have to have that job. And it may not be the right one. And so don't, don't get yourself too caught up in that. Like take a step back and figure out that whether if it's not this one, it's going to be another one. Like there's just a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. I think the other side of that might be that if you get to the point where they, they make an offer feeling like you need to take that offer because you don't know if you're going to get another one lacking the you know the experience to know that there's going to be another offer coming along soon that's that's potentially better than this one or if you have reservations about this one you know don't jump on it keep keep going because taking the taking the taking the wrong job can have long-term impacts taking the wrong job early solves some short-term pain but causes long-term pain yeah Absolutely, and it, you know, I that actually leads me back to it. To um, I, I was uh, this is relatively recent for me, where I, I had a long sort of career. You know, I, I had a lot of experience already, and I was it was one of those things where I wanted to move on new to a new challenge, and I got a job offer from a company that I had barely interviewed with, and the company I knew was a great company, and what they were doing was. I knew it was in line with what I wanted to be, you know, sort of wanted to focus in on. But it just made me leery that they were basically hiring me or willing to hire me sight sight unseen. I think I'd only had, I think I'd only spoken with them on the phone. And this is way before COVID, you know, <laughs> like this wasn't an issue of that. And I don't know. Just, I can feel the awesome from a distance. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, but imagine like, you know, hiring somebody. And it was actually like to build up an office here in the Chicago area. So it was like somebody who you mm-hmm. knew was going to be remote and sort of helping you to build a market. And it's like, it just threw me off. It's like, this feels weird. And I and I remember going back to the recruiter and saying, I love the offer, but I got a, I need more interviews. And I really did. I like, so they, they flew me out and I got to meet a couple people and that made me feel better and more comfortable with what the situation was. But I think that the lesson learned is that for me is that even if you get an offer and you have those like feelings, like, you know, you get that sort of sense in the back of your head or that that conversation in the back of your head saying, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not so sure yet. I don't feel like I've got, quite got the grasp for what this company is and what the job is. I think there's no reason whatsoever not to go back to that recruiter, uh, the HR person, whatever. Um, and, uh, and just say, Hey, can I have another conversation with so-and-so and think about who that so-and-so should be? It might be the hiring manager, but it might not be. It might be like, Hey, I'd really like to have a conversation with one of the other DevOps engineers I'm working with, or maybe I want to, I'd love to have a conversation with one of the senior software engineers. Um, I just want to talk to them and just understand their, their day-to-day, their, you know, like how I fit in. I just want to have that conversation. I think it's absolutely okay to ask for those things. And if first, if they if they tell you no, I'd be really concerned. Like that'd be a huge red flag to me. Yeah. Because most, you know, most HR and recruiting people, they also want to make sure that it's the right fit. I and mean, the last thing they want to do is hire you, go through the entire trouble of onboarding, and then find out that you're miserable and you're gonna leave. 
right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants that. Nobody wants that. So I, I think that it's a great lesson is, is, you know, even if you can't figure it out, so I guess here's the mission impossible answer is if you can't figure it out, go back and say, I want more, you know, I want more time. <laughs> what, what are you ever able to do that? But I think this is a great opportunity that you can do that. I usually ask for that as part of the interview process. It's just after it's over, it's like, hey, can I just go and kind of sit with the team I'd be working with for 20 minutes? And yeah, you just sit there and you just quietly observe. Because one of the things that'll happen is, is that what I found is a lot of people don't really have the right kind of filter. If there's something to hide, <laughs> you're probably going to see it, right? Even if everyone's on their best behavior, you, sh- you can pick up on that. And the other thing is, is that if you can kind of pair with somebody or things like that, I mean, unless they're working on stuff that you just, you know, they're like, hey, look, you know, this is the team that does the financial stuff and we can't, right? They should be able to tell you why you can't. But otherwise, yeah, I've, I've really never had a problem with them saying, oh, no, you can't, you can't go sit with them. Yep. And what I like to do is I like to sit down and after five or 10 minutes, just, hey, is this normal? <laughs> hey, is this normal? And then the other the other stunt I've pulled a couple of times if I was just not getting a good read was, so can I buy you lunch tomorrow? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm serious. It the, the best way to figure out what's going on is to talk to somebody who's already in there. Yeah. And so then it's like, hey, look, do you know, do you, do you like it? Are they paying you enough? Are they who would I be replacing? What was he like? You can get a ton of information. And a lot of times, yeah, the people interviewing you want to put their best foot forward. But these guys, if there's a chance they're going to have to work with you, they want to be their, your friend. And so they're going to tell you straight up what's going on. I agree. And I think the other thing is that you have to be out, you know, sort of on the lookout for is even if they don't want to tell you overtly all the details, like they don't necessarily want to air all the dirty laundry. But I think what I have also found is that I sort of look for, you know, it's the body language, but it's beyond the body language. It's the attitude. It's the are they excited to be there are they happy doing things Mm -hmm. or are they just complaining right is it just profanity laced conversation and they seem miserable like if that's the case then that's right away a red flag but if they are like really excited right and they like hey this is a really cool project we're on and this is what we're doing and you know this is cool 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 right that just because the, there's nothing worse than being in a, in a on a team with somebody or more than one person who's just miserable because that just saps the energy from everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the other things is that that I've seen or that I've been able to do is just a lot of times if the last guy was a miserable, you know what, right? That they're they're replacing somebody that they either got rid of for reasons and they can't tell you that because HR, right? Or they're looking for somebody who can solve very specific problems. The other guy just couldn't hack it, right? Or sometimes, like in your case, Jeffrey, right? They're going, we need security in our SDLC, which if you're not familiar with the term software development lifecycle, if you're not, we need to bring this in, then then they're going to be asking you some pretty specific questions about the things that they're concerned about and see if you can solve them. And so what they're asking you is another good way to kind of gauge, okay, how bad is it? (laughs) You know, how desperate are they? How badly do they need this? And I've never been shy either about saying, hey, if this is new, how much how much backup do I have? Because if you're going to bring me in and you expect me to change stuff, right? That's my job is to change the way things work. Then you've got to be backing me up to the hilt because people don't want to change. Yeah, definitely. That is true. But yeah. 
I think the other thing that I, I want to know about, especially like getting back to like specifically DevOps and, and software uh, engineering, if you're looking for those two areas, I would really want to understand what the processes look like. Getting back to yeah. what I was saying before, like, are you still running things with like old school project managers where everything has to be on time and on budget? Because if that's what it is, then, you know, think of, you know, sort of take that, take that a step further and say, well, if that's really their mindset, that means that they're not willing to sort of learn and you know mm-hmm. have that continuous learning feedback loop sort of thing, right? Because if you are, then you can't use a PMO structure. It doesn't work because you're not going to be on time and on budget because you don't know what the budget is because you don't know enough. And you don't know what the timeline has to be because you don't know enough, right? So I think that's an important one to, depending on where mm-hmm. you are, if you really want to be in a truly agile, like bleeding edge type of environment, then that would be a red flag because you know that these are not going to be, you can't, you know, you can't have it both ways, right? Yeah. Everything has to be on time and on budget. You can't be bleeding edge. That's just. <laughs> well, you can, but it may not work the way you think it will work. But yeah. I mean, it just, it, it ends up going back to like, yeah, we'll pretend like we're bleeding edge, but we'll, we'll try that as an experiment and then we'll never try it again because it's not going to work out on time and on budget. Or they say yeah, yeah. our agile process for our agile process, you know, every six months we burn the code to a CD and mail it to the IT department so they can deploy it. <laughs> yeah, oh man, that's right. That's so right. that's our that's our continuous deployment. We 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 mail <laughs> a lot of CDs. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I mentioned that we have project managers at work, right? The difference is is that he so our project manager he he's mostly a go between between us and the business team. Just to clarify. What do you want? What does it look like? Why do we need it? Why do we care? Blah, 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 right? And then he'll bring it to us and any pushback we have. And so sometimes it's he just does the work of clarifying what needs to be done or what the priorities are. And sometimes he's a hostage negotiator. (laughs) And I'll admit, sometimes I'm the person he's negotiating with. But because I'm just going, no, we're not doing that, you know? This is also the priority, right? What we're doing is stupid, dangerous, or both, right? But if you have somebody that kind of has that role that takes lifts that off of your team, then that works pretty well, right? And then we can kind of estimate and kind of go with our velocity and they can kind of figure out about when we think we're going to get to it. But, you know, yeah, if you're going, hey, we've got this timeline and we promise we'll have it all done. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. That I mean, that. That hurts because eventually you're not going to hit it. Right. And, and when and that, that happens, what happens? And they should be able to tell you all of that. Exactly. And and here's a, you know what? But here's a great, I think, an important one that we just stumbled onto is don't get hung up on titles. Because I'm mm-hmm. thinking project manager of, in my mind, you know, like I said, the PMI certified project, you know, it's the project management institute certified PM, like mm-hmm. the old construction project manager type person. Right. But Charles, what you're talking about is not that type of PM, even though they may have the same title as two different right. things. And, and that's really common that in two different companies, the same title means absolutely different things. So don't get caught up in a title. Ask what that person does. Because I'm talking about the PM that lives and dies by pro, uh, by Microsoft Project doing Gantt charts, right? If you've noticed a Gantt chart, you know, you know what I'm talking about. A Gantt chart means this, these are our 10 tasks. Task one starts on week one and goes through week five. Task two starts at week three and goes through week seven. 
And it has to, that's the timeline that it has to, and there, and there is an associated budget as well. And that's what this guy's living or gal is living by is Microsoft project. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And if that's what you're seeing, then you know that that's a really old school way of looking at things. But yeah, Charles, what you're talking about is just more of a title, but the person is just, mm-hmm. you know, has more of a liaison role or whatever you want to call it. And that's very different. So you'd want to ask those questions and say, well, what does that PM actually do? You know, and, and how do they make our life, you know, how do they help manage manage things and and how how do they make our lives, you know, easier? Yeah, well, and I'll just, I'll add two things to that. One is, is that, so our project manager and the way that he works with us is actually different from some of the other teams within the same division of the big financial firm that I work with, right? I mean, let alone the whole company. And so just keep in mind too that, yeah, you need to get specific to the process for the team that you're dealing with because they have kind of let us... Now, the so he was like my boss's boss. You know, he just left. And he was very, very rigid about certain aspects of our process. And now that he's gone, we're talking about, hey, there's all this stuff that we can do now that will work for us, Right. And so just keep in mind that a lot of this stuff will vary from team to team, not necessarily even from uh, company to company. But the other thing is, is I have worked for Gantt Chart George or whatever his name, right? And and I'll tell you, it's miserable. It is absolutely miserable because you, you deviate from that at all and they start getting stressed out like crazy. Oh, yeah. So if you sit in meetings and like, Charles... Have you finished that task yet? It was due yesterday. Yeah, and if your answer is, well, I still can't get it to work. You know, it's not like I'm slacking off or anything, right? I, <laughs> I, I didn't sleep last night and I still can't get it to work. But, 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 and then it was due yesterday. Yeah, you're setting us all this stuff back. And I said, well, you better tell somebody that. I, that, 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 was, that was my response right. because uh, tonight I'm not working late. I'm going to bed because I need it because I didn't sleep last night, right? And <laughs> It's yeah. So just just be aware, and uh, do that's we another need thing. to update this to to project status orange, or do we need to make this <laughs> project status red? Okay, you're you're starting to trigger me. <laughs> 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 I'm joking, but still, I mean, it's it's it, it is it's no fun because and we all want to enjoy our jobs, right? In fact, that's one of the things that I tell people when they're they're starting to come in and they're starting to go, okay, you know, I'm looking for a new position. How do I figure out if it's the job I want? And my my first step for all of these people is you better figure out what you want first, right? And then start applying to companies that look like that, right? Or to teams that look like that, right? Then you know what to ask when you go in, right? Because I mean, I can imagine, and, and I've I've been here with like my dad had some chronic health problems, right? And so one of the big things when my mom went to went back to work to teach school but she wanted to teach somewhere that had a reasonably good benefits package, right? Health benefits, because it, it was important to them, right? right? And so if that's kind of your number one primo thing, you may ask some of these other questions, but if they have a killer benefits package, it might make it worth it, even if yep. it's miserable, right? But yep. if you know, hey, look, um, I'm trying to move up in my career, so I'm looking for a place that has some ways that I can move up, it's fun to be at. I can connect with people who are moving the same direction I am, right? Then you show up and you start asking those questions. But if if you don't know what those things are, right? And I've had other guys that were, I worked with and they just wanted to show up at eight, punch the clock, leave at five, punch the clock and be done, right? right. And writing software was just a means to a paycheck. Yeah. And 
And so for those guys, they all they want to know is, am I comfortable here? And do the paychecks show up on time, right? And so you, if you know what you want, then you know what to ask, right? And yeah. the other thing is, is some of this, you know, we're talking about nightmare PMs, for example. We're talking about it because we've dealt with it, right? And so some of this stuff is going to come out of wherever I wind up, if they had or not have the same problems as the last place, right? I think that that's a good point, though, too, is that there isn't going to be the perfect place to work, right? And, and there are people who do jump around a lot. And if you're jumping around because you think that the grass is going to be greener, I mean, as we all know, it's not always greener. And what usually ends up happening is you're just trading in one set of issues for a different set Mm -hmm. of issues. You know, there's not going to be the perfect place. So I I think that's an important one, too, is, you know, maybe the opposite. Maybe the the end run is at the end of your, your run at a company, why are you leaving? Are you leaving because you're like, what's making you want to go? And is it just because you're hoping that the next place is going to be better? You know, better is a really relative thing. So I, I think that's also an important one, Charles, to what you said, know why you're leaving, not just know why you're, <laughs> well, what you're looking for. <laughs> My thoughts there are a little, little different because every place that I have left, I started thinking about leaving about two to three months before I actually left. Yeah. And in every case, it turned out that I should have just quit. When I started thinking about leaving, it was time to go, right? But yeah, you need to be clear on what the issues are so that you don't just go to the next place with the same problems. Exactly, exactly. You know, one other thing, though, you mentioned like the benefits. And I think that's an important one because sometimes depending on your your life situation, benefits could be really the thing that makes you want Mm -hmm. to take a job or not take a job. And one thing I have seen a lot is what's become very common recently, you know, meaning the last several years is at least for smaller companies is the idea of unlimited vacation time, right? Because in the old school way of doing things, you accrue vacation time, right? As you know, every two weeks, you get like four hours of vacation or whatever the, whatever the number is. And you accumulate- Did I mention that. I work for that company? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? And, and so, you know, and over the course of a year, you get your whatever it is, two weeks, four weeks, three weeks, five weeks, yeah. whatever that adds up to, right? And you know how that works and you accrue it. And, you know, so your first year, you can't really take much because it takes you the entire year just to get those first two, three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens though financially is that the companies are carrying that on their financial sheets. And a lot of the smaller companies are like, you know what, we're not even going to do the administration. We're not going to carry it on our financials. We're just going to tell everybody you can take as much time as you want, which really sounds awesome, right? I can take time whenever I want, whenever I need. But what I have seen and what I've actually heard from HR people is that the numbers, the statistics show the companies that have that uh, as a benefit offering, their people take less pay time off than people, than the companies that where you accrue it and have it banked. So just keep that in mind that it's not always easy to take the time off just because it's mm-hmm. available to you. And I think that's an important one too, is understand what the demands are. You know, what are the expectations on you when you start and how easy is it going to be? Because if, if you're really taking the job because you want to be able to take vacation, you want to be able to make your kids uh, events, you know, school events or vacation time in the summer, the winter, the fall, the spring, whatever it is, just, you know, make sure that you understand what those demands uh, of the job mm-hmm. really are. And the probably the best way is, again, what, what Charles and I were talking about earlier, like, get yourself embedded, like really have these conversations with your teammates, uh, your future teammates, 
and understand what it really is like because they're going to paint the picture differently than a hiring manager or HR will. Yeah. One other thing I just want to throw out there too, and we've kind of talked our way around this idea a little bit, is you don't actually know what you're getting until you're in it, right? You'll be yeah. there a month or so, and then you're going to know, okay, this is the closet we nobody opens because that's where all the skeletons are, right? This this is the rug that the the really ugly stuff's been swept under, and and every company has them, right? And and here are the really great things about this company, and you'll figure that out within the first few months, and then you can, and so. I think if you get into a position where you're just like, after a couple of months, you're just like, no, this is excruciating. I don't see any reason why you can't quit. But the issue is, is that if, if you do that too many times, then the problem is probably you and not the companies that you're working <laughs> for, right? Or at least you need to have a really good, solid look at your expectations yeah. and, and what you're actually getting. Because the reality is, is that, yeah, you're you either have unrealistic expectations or you really suck at companies to apply to, right? right? Picking the companies you want to, you're, you're getting into. Right. So, so just, you know, go pay attention. And sometimes what you need is you need somebody from the outside to come look at, at the situation with you and say, okay, this is the fourth company you've jumped to, right? What's going on. And then you talk through all four companies and then they may tell you, Hey, look, they're all going to have this problem. So you just need to learn to work with it. Or they may say, oh, well, it looks like you've picked four companies that all have the same problem profile. Maybe you should look at a different one that, that you know that's more like this or more like that and see yeah. if you can work your way into a situation that's better for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't agree. I mean, I think you're right. I think the first point you made is, you know, if you're that miserable, absolutely jump ship. Being miserable for, for two or three months is bearable until you find a new job. Being yeah. miserable for two years or three years or longer is, it's horrible. It's going to kill everything around you. It's going to be hard on your family. It's going to be hard on your friends. It's going to be hard on everything. So, you know, that's, that's one thing where you want to just, you know, cut your losses. I think what we're, 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 you know, Will and I wanted to start this off saying, how do you avoid that situation? But I think it's an important point that you can't always avoid it. You know, sometimes you just end up in a situation that just isn't great. And you just, you know, you just need to walk away from it. Um, yeah. Or sometimes you just didn't know or didn't have the opportunity to get the information you needed before you got in. Yeah. And that happens yeah. too. Yeah. Well, or, or the other thing I, I've seen also is everything was great. And then all of a sudden they do a big reorganization and have mm-hmm. to <laughs> through that. Yeah. Everything, everybody <laughs> you liked is now gone. And now like you're stuck with a whole bunch of. Uh, mm-hmm. new we were all under NDA, but now that you've been hired, we got acquired last month. Papers are getting signed next month, (laughs) right? Exactly, exactly. Um, You know, yeah. I mean, that that stuff happens. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, We just got acquired, or yeah, or we just got yeah, we're merging, or whatever it is, and yeah, all of a sudden, it you're you're in a different department and a different organization altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, speaking to what you said before, Charles. uh, I mean, I start with the company. And six months later, I, I knew that they had been acquired. And then six months later, though, all of a sudden, our benefits got sucked into the, their benefits. And all of a sudden, we realized that our benefits just went down. We didn't know that, that their benefits were, were worse, a worse package than ours. But yeah, you just, you don't always know these things. Uh, and then, you know, you yeah. just got to make a decision. Like, what's, is it good enough? Is it okay? I mean, I think that's also sometimes, you know, sometimes we get caught up in, you know, sort of, 
um, getting testy and feeling sorry for ourselves when it's really not that much worse and it's not mm -hmm. that bad. And it's still overall, it's still a decent place to work and, you know, stop complaining and just deal with it because nothing's going to be perfect. Yep. Wow. I think that's key that nothing is going to be perfect. You know, every, every place is going to have its obstacles, its challenges, its personality. I mean, that's sort of like defined when you talk about a company's culture that defines like the good parts and the bad parts as well, though we don't really like to, to talk about those, but it's important to acknowledge that they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go into it knowing that. Go into it knowing that you haven't discovered it yet. <laughs> as Cheryl said, it's swept under the rug. It's going to be there. You're going to find it. And then put it in perspective. Is it really that bad or is it really just like, ah, all right, I didn't expect to see that, but eh, it is what it is. No big yeah, sometimes, sometimes it really is. It's just down to, well, I'm getting these things that I want. And I can tolerate the stuff that I didn't like. So I do have a question, though, and it's a little bit of a change of topic. So if there are any other ideas around this before we change topic. I'm good. Well, did you have any other thing you wanted to throw in there? Or did, did we cover the topic pretty well? I think we fairly well covered it. Let's switch it up. Lightning. I, I get. Well, uh, so I have two. I have two topics that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is, is that a lot of times, you know, we talked about kind of attracting the companies or getting interviews at the companies that have the problems that we want to avoid. And so the thing I think we kind of skipped over was it figuring what, out what you want. We talked a little bit about that. But then the next thing is, is you want to tailor your resume so that it looks good to the kind of company you want to attract. And so I just want to make sure that you're thinking about that, right? So these yeah. are the kinds of things I want to work on. These are the kinds of things that I want to do. So that's the kind of thing that you showcase in your resume. And yeah. that way you're going to get in it for interviews at the kinds of companies you want to work for, right? Yeah. And you can actually explicitly call it out. I've seen people put an objective on their resume, which I think is funny. But if you're trying to tweak where you're at, right? It's the last four or five jobs have all been this kind of job. And I want to move into this other kind of thing, right? I want to go from Kubernetes management to SecOps or, you know, sec, DevSecOps, put that in there, right? I've got all this experience on, on how to do all this other stuff, but I'd like to start moving this direction. And somebody may pull you in because it's, well, we don't have a DevSecOps person and we don't really have budget for it, but we do have a budget for a DevOps person. And so we may throw you some of the SecOps stuff and pay for you to get help when you need it, right? right. And so if you can kind of tailor things that way, that'll go that way. But the other question I have is, how do you know if the right company for you is going to be your own, right? Because you're both consultants. I've been there. I've been a consultant. How do you know if, hey, look, you know, I think I'm going to be way happier, way better off. I'm going to make more money, right? Because I'm disciplined enough to do the marketing and stuff to be a consultant, right? How do you know that you should go look at a company versus going for consulting? Wow, I think we could do an entire episode on that. We probably should. We, we have an entire show on that, but the, I need to revive it. But okay. just, just just in a few minutes, right? Like if you're not finding the right company, at what right. point do you say maybe so, the right company is the one that I'm going to wind up running? So that's where I was about three years ago, three and a half years ago now. I did not think I was going to you know, end up on my own. I left a company just knowing, knowing that I had challenges with, the way that my leadership team was working. And, and I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to change this ship. Like I wasn't angry and upset and everything else, but I was at that point where I realized like, this isn't like, I'm not changing the ship. The ship is moving in the direction it's moving. And I'm either being carried along with it or I'm mm -hmm. leaving. And I just realized it's just, I've been there long enough. And I was 
it was just really rubbing rubbing me, me in the wrong way. So I left and I, and I used to end up with another company and I was looking around and I didn't see anything that I felt like I wanted to, I would be able to stay, you know, stay there for more than a year or two and then be, you know, be in a similar position, you need to move on. So that is sort of my story. How do I, how did I know that? I mean, it was only from interviewing and, and really understanding what it was. I mean, I think Charlie can hit it on the head, really knowing what it is that you want and looking for that. And when I didn't find it, that's that's sort of what what you know propelled me that direction. I do think, and I've been I, I've had this confirmed from other people who like in similar situations. I thought I knew sales. I thought I knew marketing. I thought I knew what it was what I was up against in trying to get clients and all that. And I learned that I didn't know anything about it. It's part of, I think, if you are going to make that decision to, you know, that you are your own company, and that's the direction you want to go, you have to realize that everything you think you know about that, you may not until you actually test it out. You don't, you can't know for sure if you have the right mm -hmm. skills until you test them out and see if you actually do and if you really do know what you're doing. So, I mean, that's, that's something you have to be ready to do and willing to do. And, and there's risk in that. There's financial risk in that, for sure. And uh, but the, and that doesn't even go into the question of, do you have the skills to actually go into a client and provide them value, right? Is, do you have an offer that you can dif that differentiates you from anybody else and that makes people want to hire you? I, you have to have that. That's the first step. The rest of it is, are you willing to take that, you know, sort of take the jump, take the risk, whatever you want to call it. What do you think, Will? I think I think Jeffrey's story reflects mine in a lot of ways, but I'm curious where you where you're coming from with this. Yeah, for me, um, a lot of my background has been in working with startups, and with with a startup, you know, so much of the the focus and the effort is on building this product and creating passionate users and building the the culture of your company and turning it into a thriving organization that can either go public or get bought out, you know, or whatever the exit strategy is. And I was really passionate about doing the technology and the infrastructure and the DevOps and helping those companies grow and become successful and build their infrastructure that allowed them to scale profitably. But for a lot of, a lot of them, I just didn't care what their product was. And that was the distinguishing, distinguishing factor for me. You know, it's like, at these early stage startups, you need people who are really passionate and ready to live and die by the product that your company is manufacturing. And, and I just wasn't. There have been a few exceptions to that. But for the most part, I was passionate about getting their foundation right and getting them off to a good start and then giving them a big old shove down the track and going on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, my consulting journey was basically into software, right? And what happened with me was I got into software development while I was running a support team, tech support team for a, a startup. And by tech support, it was customer tech support, right? Because it was a technology pro product and basically built the team from the ground up. And then politics, we got acquired. <laughs> we talked a little about that. But yeah, we got acquired. Everything changed, right? And I tried to get onto the development team and they told me no. And so I went onto the QA team, did QA for six months and then quit when I got an offer for basically half again my salary, <laughs> right? I went and worked for them for a year. Their rails worked right up. They were mostly a C-sharp shop. And I really loved working for them. And they said, yeah, well, we, 
we bench everybody for two weeks and we can't find work for them. And then, and then we'll let them go. Well, no, they tried for a day to help me get another contract and then they laid me off. So I went and I got another job and I worked there for a year. And my boss was hell. My boss's boss was hell. Eventually my boss actually left. And so my boss's boss became my boss. And it was just this <laughs> giant cluster and it was, it was so bad. And so when I left there, the, the, my boss, who was the CEO, he chewed me out for two hours for leaving, <laughs> which didn't really make me want to stay. But so I went to this other job and I worked there for six months and then they laid me off. And I loved them working for them. They were the best job I'd ever had. Best pay, best people, best everything. And they hired a marketing guy that took them in a different direction and they wound up laying me off. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going... All right. My son just started kindergarten. My oldest, this was 10 years ago. He's 15 now. But he just started kindergarten. I want to go to all the school things, right? And it seems like either the jobs I love are going to lay me off or the jobs that I can't stay in for another day without wanting to scream obscene things at the people that I'm dealing with, right? And, and getting myself fired. I can't seem to get them to want to let me go. So, <laughs> right? And so I just got to the point where it's like, well, what do I do? You know, well, I can start my own thing, right? And, and by then I was already podcasting and screencasting. And so I just put it out there. Hey, I'm looking for contracts. And I found them, right? And so that, and after like, it was funny because I, when I told my wife I wanted to go freelance, we had just finished this uh, death march. So we had like all the bonus from that. And then I got my severance right after that because that's when they laid us off. So I basically had two months worth of money in the bank. And I just looked at it and I said, when we run out of money, I'll go get a job. And I found clients, right? And after about six months, my wife basically looked at me and said, I can't see any reason why you should ever go back to a job because I was making more money and I was happier. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and it's not for everybody, right? I've seen people go out and try and do the consulting thing and they are miserable, right? They're not good at the marketing. They hate doing the sales, Right. They like the part of it where they actually get to sit down and be the expert. But sometimes you don't even get clients that want you to do that, right? They just want you to show up with code in hand and hand it off. And so anyway, but for me, for my personality, just the level of freedom and the, you know, the ability to kind of go out and kill my own food, for lack of a better metaphor, right? For me, it really appealed to me. And so it's another one of those things. I don't know that I really would have understood that it was a good fit for me until I tried it, just like we said about some of these jobs. But ultimately, the way that this goes is that, yeah, if you're not finding what you're looking for, and you want something that's going to force you to grow in ways you didn't think you ever would, and at the same time is rewarding because of the way that it's challenging, and you're looking for the kind of freedom that it offers, then it might be a good fit for you. Right. And if it scares the crap out of you, the last three things I said, then don't try it. Okay. <laughs> Yes, yeah. true. Because the the most the biggest pitfalls in it are not the technical aspects of mm -hmm. it. It's the the sales, marketing, and finance. Yep. yep. And you forget yeah. about that stuff too, and then it'll come back around and it it'll get right. you. Not right. that I'm speaking from experience over over <laughs> over again. Yeah. The unpredictability is certainly is certainly a it's it's a challenge and it's it, uh, it, it's the stressor, right? We trade yep. in other things. Um, I love the fact that. I don't have the administration. I mean, I, I've worked at jobs where half of my time was it was administration. Like I wasn't even doing what I do. I was just 
you know, managing the stuff, you know, the TPS reports and all the other junk that you have to do. I hear you. I hear you. Right. I mean, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think TPS reports, like that's just a generic, everybody understands what we're talking about. Like that's just the stuff no one wants to have to deal with. So that's the nice thing about being in consulting. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I even, I do some subcontract work for some of the big firms uh, that I just over the years have relationships with. Um, and it's nice because they know that I'm not, you know, if you're working for a big firm, you're just on the hook. Like they expect that you're going to be reachable pretty much 24 seven. And they know I'm not because <laughs> that's not what I'm interested in. And it's nice. So I think, you know, if that's what you're looking for, that's a huge, I mean, that was one of the biggest motivations for me to want to, to make this work was not being on the hook to the big company for all the administrative junk. Love the technical work, love being part of the consulting that I do. But I, I mean, it's just all of the other stuff. It, that's that's just what makes you miserable. At least for me, that's what makes me miserable. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the way that I've managed expectations lately, and I'm surprised it hasn't gotten me into trouble yet, is if you make me do that, I'll quit. <laughs> <laughs> I've said that at least a handful of times. And sometimes it's just that way, right? Yeah. But luckily, I can't tell it for them or for me. They haven't cashed that chip yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, sometimes sometimes that's just the way it goes, having a job. And sometimes that's the way it goes being a consultant. And you've got to be willing to do it for yourself. Yep. And that's hard too, right? Because all of a sudden, you're like, well, I don't... I don't have another contract lined up. And so if I tell them, if you make me do this, I'll quit. And they make you do it. And you don't quit. <laughs> you're in a different position where you're setting different expectations. And so sometimes that's hard because you see that that's a revenue issue for you. And at the same time, anyway, no so saying no to the stuff that is going to make you miserable because you know that that's not what you got into this for. Right. That, that gets hard too. And sometimes it's a matter of having a plan and saying, you know what, yeah. I'm willing to put up with that stuff for the short term because this is my long-term goal and this gets me along the path to my long-term goal. If it's mm -hmm. not, then you know you might make that that other decision and say, this isn't helping me in my long-term goal whatsoever. And I am just, I'm cutting my losses and I'm done. Yep. I think one of the keys there is what you just said is your long-term goal. That implies that you have a long-term goal set, which kind of goes back to what Chuck was saying earlier, whenever you go to apply for a job, you've got to know what you want. You yeah. know, and those are really hard mm -hmm. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you don't know how to quantify that until you've kind of gone through a couple of broken systems and go, right. Not that. Right. Not that. <laughs> Cross well, that one off the list. Definitely not that. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, or the, uh, the flip side is, is I really liked that. You know, having a boss like that was terrific. Having a boss like that other guy, not terrific, right? Yeah. But sometimes I think it's also being willing to put up with stuff because mm -hmm. you know that where you are and what this job offers you in terms of the ability to learn new technologies, new skills, new, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have been in that position where, I, where I've been like, you know what? I am willing to put up with that. There's a, a lot of unknowns here. I There might be things that, that really are, are going to be you know, tough and miserable and, and whatever, but I'm willing to do that at least short term. Again, it's the short term for the long term. The long term is I want these goal, you know, I want these skills, I want this experience. Short term, I'm willing to put up with quite a bit to get there. You have to know what that threshold is of what's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I mean I, I've been in that 
position where, yeah, it's, it's worth it to me to just to gain those skills. Yeah. I hear you. And I've been in that position too, where it was like, as soon as I master this thing, I am out of this place. <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, but I, I preach this a lot, especially on dev influencers, right. Is you, you have to know where you want to end up. You can change it, right. You've got a five-year plan and you figure out that the five-year plan and isn't what you want. Well, five years out is a long time. Now's a good time to change it, right? And so once you're willing to pull that trigger, yeah, okay, well, then this isn't getting me where I want. So I'm going to change this too. And then you go, okay, well, then where do I need to be to be on track for that? Right. And that makes such a big difference. And the other thing is, is that I tend to plan things out about three months at a time, right? So, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing for the next three months and I know where I want to be in three years. And I have a vague idea of what happens after the three months, but just kind of having those pieces figured out, okay, well, I can put my head down for three months and work through these issues. And then I'm way closer to where I want to be for the three-year plan. And yeah, there's a lot to that. And that makes such a big difference because if you kind of have that long-term perspective, then yeah, it makes a lot of the short-term stuff easy to manage. Yep. All right. Well, we've kind of been going for an hour. Is there anything else we want to throw at this before we go to picks? I'm good. Yeah. I think we've uh, thoroughly covered the subject. <laughs> yeah. The only the only other thing I'm going to throw in real quick, because it just came to my head. I always ask, and then about half the time, I'm like, oh yeah, this other thing. <laughs> and that is, and this is something that I, I tell people a lot, is that if you want to go in a direction that is not the direction you've been headed in, Because people will look at your momentum and go, oh, yeah, well, you're definitely on track to solve these problems for us. But that's not where you want to go. You have to put something out there that's going to demonstrate that you can, that you're on track for the other thing, too. And so Dev Influencers, I talk a lot about the podcasting, right? And that's a good way to demonstrate, hey, look, you know, I... I'm qualified in this other area that I'm interested in, right? You know, so machine learning or DevOps or security or whatever, right? And so if you can start putting out a project, contributing to open source, writing a blog, doing a podcast, interviewing experts, I mean, any of this stuff, you start to kind of prime the pump for wherever you want to end up. And so we talked a little bit about putting the stuff into your resume and you can put this kind of stuff into your resume But then the other thing is, is make sure that you have a body of work out there for them to come and look at. And if they come and look at it and say, doesn't have a ton of professional experience here, but is clearly a go-getter because there's about five months worth of content here, right? There's, There's a book's worth of blog posts. There are hours and hours and hours of podcast episodes that I can go look at. He's contributing to the major open source project for this area of technology. Those kinds of things make a major difference and will really help you along the way. And in a couple of cases, at least for me, having that stuff out there, when I wanted to go to a specific job or work at a specific company, all I really had to do was show up. I had it in my resume. That was enough for them to go check it out. And then they called me in for the interview. And by the time the interview was over, they had already looked at enough of my content to know they wanted me. And so there's no harm whatsoever in doing any of that work, networking your way into a company or anything like that, right? And you'll come into it with a lot better information on them. And if they want you, they're going to give you a lot better information because they want you. Right. All right. Let's go ahead and do picks. Will, you want to start us off with picks? Absolutely. So my pick this week is for the Biodynamic DT880 Pro headset, which is the, it's the ones I'm wearing today. Although listening on a podcast, you wouldn't know that. So just... 
imagine what I look like based on the sound of my voice and then put a really sweet headset on top of that. <laughs> they're beautiful, Will. Thank you. So they're I actually kind say, of expensive. You're supporting some pretty cool headwear there. Yeah, they're kind of expensive. So I've had actually had this pair for a couple of years and they were about $230. And then they quit working. So I went through a bunch of different ones before not being satisfied. So I sent these off for repair and got them back a while back. And so for $230, you know, I feel like I got to justify why I like them so much. And so the sound quality is just through the roof on them. But in addition to that, they're what's called an open back headset. So if so, you can hear the things going on in the room as well as what I'm listening to on the, the headphones. And so like if, if someone comes into the office or if the dog starts throwing up or whatever, you can hear that really clearly. I don't and, want to hear this, that. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, the door outside is is right there. So it's a quick, it's quick resolution if if I hear them and, and get out of my chair quick enough. But then they also have this, they're kind of a larger headset and I have really big ears. And so my ears actually fit in there without getting all cramped up in there. And then the last thing I like about them is that they're wired because I feel like I need another thing to charge. Like I need another hole in my head. And uh, yeah, so I've just been really, really happy with them. Happy to have them back from repair and would would recommend those and feel like when I'm wearing them that uh, I should be in the recording studio helping Van Halen record their next album or something. Oh, yeah. If that ever happens, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely make that well known. <laughs> <laughs> I'm There's not supposed a... to be telling anybody this, but Twitter, guess where I am? Right. <laughs> There's a... There's more than one significant obstacle to overcome before that becomes reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Jeffrey, what about you? How, how, what are your picks? Well, so I want to actually ask a question. So I'm going to do some different picks today. I'm curious. So I don't use a headset when I'm recording, which, you know, again, listeners can't see that. I just use like external speakers. I, I, have uh-huh. a, I do have a mic. I have the, uh, the Blue Yeti, whatever it's called. Um, uh-huh. I think it's a pretty decent mic. I don't know. It seems like it works okay. Um, it's okay. Yeah. But <laughs> so, so I'm Charles a mic snob. His, I'm sorry. With his <laughs> snobby setup. Exactly. I mean, he, he can talk to you through the, like, I don't think we have time for you to talk us through your entire audio setup. Uh, it'd take me 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, like, what, what, why the headsets and why not just use, like, a decent microphone and, and like, just the speakers? It, it depends on the room you're recording in and things like that. Some folks, if they don't put headphones on, they'll, you'll get an echo if they're playing out of their speaker. And, and that's that's the primary reason. There are other reasons. I, I like to listen because then I, I get really clear sound and I can tell you, hey, there's noise or hey, there's something else, right? Will gave me a little heads up on my mic setup. I don't know if it got any better because I twisted some knobs, but... It sounds you know, good my speakers. Yeah, but but <laughs> you get you can isolate it a whole lot more with the headphones. My These are actually noise canceling, so... Like my my daughter came in, was cleaning my light switches and, you know, my lights <laughs> flickered, right? But yeah, it I didn't hear what she was saying until I w- looked over and she's just moving her mouth at me and then the lights flickered. And so, <laughs> you know, but but that's that's why. So for me, there's also a mental aspect to it as well. So if I put my headphones on, whether or not I turn music on or not, like I'm instantly zoned in and focused. So when the headphones go on, 
my attention just narrows down to the computer mm-hmm. in front of me. So I'll use it as like a psychological trick. If I need to get something done, but I've been procrastinating, I'll put my headphones on, whether anything is playing through them or not is not relevant, but it helps me focus. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So the sprinkler guy needs my help for a second. So I'm going to throw out my pick and then I'm going to walk away because I've been waiting all day for him to show up. So he's finally here. I've been listening to the book Atlas Shrug. Oh, nice. I am. I am digging that book, man. I'm about a third of the way through it. And holy cow, do I identify with those characters. And what's interesting too, is I'm I'm listening to the book and I'm going, she saw what was going on now, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I'm really, really loving the book. So I'm going to pick that. And yeah. That'll be my pick for the day. Jeffrey, go ahead and finish out your picks. And then I'm going to make you the host and let you wind us up. All right, cool. So I I was struggling trying to figure out what, what my pick should be, you know, because it seems like, uh, I don't know, I, I'm still, it's funny. Sometimes I'm still like reading through the books that I've talked about in previous picks. <laughs> you know, like it's hard. Like we're trying to do this on a weekly basis. And it's kind of funny. Like sometimes I'm like, I could use the same picks that I called, like, you know, that I called out like weeks ago because I'm still sort of going through it or I'm going through it like a second or third time. You Chuck know, did that. Like, he, he picked who not how for like, three weeks running so <laughs> that's true that is so true because yeah you know it's funny like I, I could still just keep picking things like the phoenix project and the unicorn project because i just think that there's and then you know again you do the backstory on those or you know i started all out with reading the goal right Didn't that was called from um gold rat um and then there's beyond the goal so which was you know his audio backstory for the goal the goal is is the the theory of constraints basically it's like this novel it reads just like the phoenix project reads it was sort of the basis for that for the phoenix project book gene kim and the others will sort of talk about that in their introduction they actually met with uh, professor goldratt like at some point before writing the book and like because they basically took his theory of constraints which is basically a parallel idea to lean manufacturing Right. It's just a different way of doing things. But it came out in the 80s and it was basically a way to completely rethink how you do manufacturing, how to how to make manufacturing so much more efficient. And and so you know, that was really the basis for, for the Phoenix project. And I I can still go back through those and learn and sort of you it's just one of those things you have to iterate through. Um, you get more experiences, then you iterate through back through it and say, "Ha, huh, what else can I can I learn? Um, not just from the book, like, like I say, it's also the backstories, like all of the interviews and all the what went into writing those books, because the books themselves don't necessarily give you all the details for how to, you know, how do I implement DevOps or how do I implement, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to do. The business novel itself, you know, if you ever read like Lencioni, like his books, they're great to like just pique your interest and get you thinking in the right direction, but they don't necessarily give you the answers. Then you have to sort of dig deeper and keep working through that type of material. And I feel like that's what I end up doing a lot is rather than sort of moving on from book to book, I'm just spending more time like really trying to work through some of these concepts. Like, what does this really mean? How do we really apply it? Like for me, it's it's figuring out how to apply some of these concepts like in insecurity. Like where I see, I'm consulting with a lot of firms and their security processes are just, I mean, they have a bunch, you know, they they have smart people who are doing stuff, but it's not process driven, which means that it's not repeatable, it's not consistent. Right. And a lot of what we do in security is defense. And so the analogy I like to give is, you know, you think about football, 
And if you really want your team to perform well defensively, man, they've got to be process driven. They've got to be repeatable and consistent. If they're not tackling right, they don't know how to do open field tackles. They don't know how to, you know, like forget it. It doesn't matter, right? It you're done. You know, right. You're not going to make it to the out to, to you know you're not going to make it to the postseason, right? And, and there's nothing fancy about playing defense. It's being consistent. It's being it's showing up with the right amount of energy. And it's every week. It's going through film and it's you know doing your exercises and your muscle memory and it's all that. And that's what security is. And then unfortunately, we don't in general across businesses we don't do a very good job of that. We're not very consistent. So I think there's a lot of ideas of like trying to build DevOps type processes, um, trying to like build processes where you can and trying to, you know, basically free up your your creative time to do to solve creative problems, but automate everything else. Like if I can automate it, I will, even if it's, you know, automating it with like junior people. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm still right. Uh, that's all those concepts I think are very applicable. Anyway, so that was a really long winded non-pick, but that's where I am. So your pick this week is no pick whatsoever. Is yeah, it's the old picks. It's let's keep nice. doing the same picks until we that's, really understand and just get every last morsel out of them. That's that's pretty meta though. That's deep. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the way to end this podcast. I love and have everyone just thinking like, wow, I gotta go, I gotta go meditate on that or something. <laughs> And on that note, I think we will uh, we'll say Max out and uh, we'll see you on the next or hear you or listen to you or talk to you or whatever it is that we do on the next episode. All right. See you, everyone. <laughs>